Hello and welcome to the Multiverse of Marketing. I am Crash and Burn and with me as always is J.R. Sweeney. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Stop that. <laughs> I'm just saying that that was like the, the <laughs> quiver you had in your voice there. It was. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and, and I uh, it came to me the other day and it's like, why am I not saying it like that? <laughs> it's too good. The multiverse of marketing. <laughs> right. Uh, hi. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I understand. Yeah, you just got back from a lovely vacation out in sunny California. I did. I went to the Disneylands. Uh, I I yelled at FaZe Clan. Uh, Good. I went to the ocean, and uh, yeah, it was it was loads of fun. I got to see like I got to see the uh the comedy store i uh i actually looked and like there were a couple of shows there that night uh that i wouldn't have mind going minded going to see but of course we had our daughter with her with us and uh while while i recognize that she knows ron funches from like trolls and other things <laughs> that doesn't mean his comedy is necessarily appropriate for her and uh somehow i can't see her like grooving to mark Marin. so yeah yeah but like the cat uh it, it, she'll be fine she'll just groove with the kitties sure why not get anyway. a, kid, a cat and we can uh, have a three-hour interview <laughs> <laughs> about the motorcycle diaries yeah uh <laughs> so today we are talking about something near and dear to your vacation experience actually because you went to uh star wars galaxy's edge an immersive yeah uh theme park ex experience like how how to explain it uh the way disney does this shit you walk in you are entirely within it unless you have a heart attack Right. You, you go through the whole day more or less living in a different world and then you leave and you're back inside uh Anaheim, California. Well, yeah, because Which is less de which is less depressing than finding yourself uh walking into Orlando, Florida. True. Um the yeah, the thing about it is so first of all, I guess everything at Galaxy's Edge is canon, which that's crazy. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's whenever you ask the price of something, it's like, oh, that's 75 credits. Oh, that's, you know, 50 credits, whatever. Um, there, if you are, if you are on a motorized scooter, uh, the the cast members in Galaxy's Edge will call it your speeder. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Um, you know, my daughter got to meet Ray, and she was very excited about that. And she was remaining in character the whole time. Um, yeah, it's it's very like it's been well covered, but yeah, if you buy a soda they are the logos are in galactic basic um and it, it's it's incredible that star wars has come so far like you, you you can go and live that immersive experience you can go and pay even more money to enjoy the disappointment of the galactic cruiser uh <laughs> i'm gonna assume that the company wants you for to forget about that but you got a lightsaber i your kid got to experience star wars as a real thing that's incredible and so far yeah so far away from where all this began with today's topic uh the very first star wars comic book produced by marvel which technically and we'll get into this technically began technically before star wars was even released yeah like a month 
<laughs> a whole month. It counts. But we'll get it. Well, <laughs> it but we'll get into that first, though. How did you come to Star Wars? Uh, well, I so I as a kid, I saw I saw the movies generally on like um on TV originally because Return of the Jedi was Return of the Jedi came out a year after I was born. So I was a little too young to have really seen that in the theater. Um, but, you know, I saw it on, I saw it on uh, television and stuff like that. Uh, and then at one point, and younger people may not be aware of this, but there used to be clubs you could join that you could order uh videos for like a buck a piece or something like that and uh well a buck a piece at first a bucket and then piece then they first. draw you into paying 30 goddamn dollars per tape yeah and you know and they kind of send you whatever uh because after I signed up, they wound up sending me like the outlaw Josie Wales. And I I was, you know, 11 years old. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Um, I got a copy of Mel Gibson's Conspiracy Theory ooh. that way. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart as a villain. Very nice, very nice. Uh, the one thing I do miss about uh, the death of Columbia House Record Club uh, and its film subsidiary was right. uh, as part of how you would choose which film you want. You didn't write that shit in. No, you got a book Stickers. of stamps and stamps of these these movie posters. Right. And so, like, even if you didn't ever give them any money, every now and then in the mail, you just get, like, stickers yeah. of popular movies. Yeah. Th this is why civilization is declining. <laughs> Because you no longer get stickers in the mail randomly of popular movies that you may enjoy. These kids these days don't even know they're born. Uh, uh, fucking NFTs have done this to us. <laughs> you can buy an NFT of a movie poster. No! Get fucked! Get fucked! Uh, but, yeah, so I bought, I bought the trilogy through Columbia House, and uh, I had those for a long time. Then um, I was I was in high school when Phantom Menace came out, and uh, things like that. I remember in college we actually camped out uh, at our local theater, but by that time nobody gave a shit. <laughs> um, so we were camping out for attack of the clones yeah just you was, and and your hand and that's about it it was it was like me and a few friends and we were out there for several days uh, oh my god before the movie and it was only like the last night that other people joined us and then it was really cool because like we had people uh there and we were playing like star wars trivial pursuit or something uh it was some star wars themed game uh and you know hanging out and having a great time uh as far as like the expanded universe i was always i've always been somewhat casual uh here lately i've been incredibly immersed in star wars uh both because of this and just because like of Galaxy's Edge, and I started watching The Bad Batch and stuff like that. But when I was younger, I was very casual for a couple of reasons. Um, number one is we didn't have the money to cater to every thing I was interested in. So I kind of had to prioritize, you know? Uh, <laughs> it was comics and Transformers, and then Star Wars was like three or four. And so it was generally like 
if there was nothing new that I wanted comic or transformer wise, then I'd pick up an X-Wing or I'd pick up whatever. Uh, but I love, I love the expanded universe. I am pro expanded universe. I think everything should have a tiered canon, honestly. Um, I mean, it, it makes things really, really useful. Uh, either that or the pure chaos. Uh, there is a YouTuber called, uh, or YouTuber series called Broke Canon, and it's about uh, e examining literally everything that has ever happened in Doctor Who in terms of like, Oof. you know, if it's all if it's all canon then that means this coloring book is canon. Right. And thus, because Queen Elizabeth appears in this coloring book, it's like, if you start unraveling it, it's like the doctor was on the Titanic like seven times at the same time. Awesome. It, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. It, it, it gets really fun. And, and like uh, the master was in a punk band. It, yeah, uh, and, and I'm and surprised so, like, he either, either... wasn't, honestly. <laughs> or I'd and be so, surprised. yeah, you either need tiered to keep that kind of nonsense well, in check. But, uh, but also, or, fuck it. you know, the, the thing about it is when a franchise gets really big, uh, you start becoming less willing to take risks. And so it's kind of a nice thing to be able to have like there's all this stuff over here that we can kind of try out and if people respond to it then we'll pretend it's always been canon and if they don't then that's fine we can just ignore it you know yeah um or, or we can we can play it up playfully right uh if we choose to semi be aware of it right uh the very first issue of the new marvel comics uh version of star wars uh had an alternate cover in which a character from the comic we're going to be discussing today uh jackson a green giant rabbit is attempting to don't forget he's carnivorous he's carnivorous Oh, and he never yes, shuts the fuck up about it. Never shuts the fuck like ah oh, he, he he's he's like a vegan but for meat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's trying to get through this door, uh, and all the mainline characters are just trying to hold it closed <laughs> on him. And it's like, ah, oh, that's cold. But also, yeah, good. Yeah, good on you for at least recognizing that. Yes, we have we have this history, uh, and and it it kind of matters but let's yeah ooh for the most part they they'd rather you forget it right so but like i said i'm i i absolutely love that that's there and that it's mm -hmm. accessible and it's there to be uh brought back in at any time uh but they don't have to um and they don't have to they don't have to hew strictly to what they think people will go for. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So what about you? So I my first memory when it comes to Star Wars is my dad being really excited to rent it on VHS and saying, oh, it was, it was very funny. There's there's, you know, these these two characters in it. They're very funny. He was talking about the droids and right. I being, I want to say six, maybe seven. This was 91, 92 did not give a crap. It wasn't funny enough. Wasn't funny. I was into uh, Ernest P. Whirl and right. all that well, shit. So like, no, you have to hit me with jokes constantly. Right. Uh, and so uh, I, I, you have memories of course, of the pastiches that were thrown together in the late eighties and early nineties, uh, during the dark times in star Wars, which we will later discuss. Uh, but like, that's how essentially I came to know of it. It was a boring movie that my dad was into and there'd be jokes about it on Looney Tunes. Right. And, you know, uh, inevitably, it, the 1995 remaster came out. Now that's not the special edition. That is the THX and and like frame remaster. Mm -hmm. It was the pre pre 
game to the prequels when they were like, does anyone give a crap about Star Wars? Let's find out. Let's let's remaster things. Because the version that my father rented for us was in terrible shape. I'm pretty sure it came out like the first year that the VHS of Star Wars came out. And I was present not long after that at the accidental destruction of a a beta max copy of it in which uh, someone a a a child who was in possession of it i probably i I assume actually their parents said no it'll totally work in a vcr and (laughs) annihilated it so whoops woof beta max (laughs) beta max but I inevitably caught it enough on TV, and I had some random hand-me-downs from my cousins, uh, including uh, an Ewok Adventures coloring book and an original Star Wars like activity book. Like it had games and and some baking ideas and like uh, and a, like a adventure story written out and like the basic rundown of first Star Wars. It's I, I swear to God, it's probably actually worth about like 50 bucks now that I think. Oh, about yeah. It. It's a good thing I, I saved that. Uh, it's a good thing. Always save the crap that gets handed down from you from the 80s, folks. You <laughs> oh. never goddamn know. Well, you know, my my half brother actually had like all the Star Wars toys. Like, and yeah, like that's actually before I even ever saw the movies, I probably I probably was uh i loved the c3po uh god i haven't even thought about that in forever uh well that 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 just reminded me that yeah at the the same time from the same source i had uh the original darth vader and he had the cape at first but no lightsaber Mm -hmm. so he always like it looked like he was holding a cup right uh and i had a <laughs> the snow speeder, the original snow speeder toy, but it was missing the flaps where oh. the batteries go. Mm, yeah. <laughs> my my brother had the uh he had the Millennium Falcon and like a Ooh. lot of the a lot of the uh the old uh figures. I don't know. I'm not sure in terms of if I if I had to see them now, I could probably place them a little more firmly uh, in yeah. in terms of what wave of toys they were. Um, I mean, you know, all toys were janky back then. Um, but yeah, like it was and I think that was I think that was sort of, you know, the droids have always been kind of my favorite part of star wars even though the way it treats droids is incredibly inconsistent um oh it's abysmal uh, yeah it's like pick a lane are they sentient are they not like and if they're sentient why do you need or uh why is it okay to mind wipe them if they're not sentient why do you need restraining bolts explain it to me um but i think it i think a lot of it goes back to like as a as a kid my going and seeing my half brother he had all of those and he had the ones i was obsessed with were 3po and r2d2 um and wow i literally never put that together <laughs> wow uh i see that's that's the joy of this uh show is like oh wait i've been manipulated by commercialism my whole life <gasps> those are my happy memories <laughs> yeah uh suckling at the teat of capitalism but you know i guess this is cheaper than <laughs> therapy uh hey there you go <laughs> so in 1995 they released the 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 thx special or the ths x remastered edition right uh there was a big commercial push at the time uh they they even put like a trailer in front of a couple of movies uh essentially like hit every target audience with the same commercial of uh an x-wing flying at a tv screen and it flies out of the tv screen and it's like you can now watch it like this yeah and it's like, oh, oh my god. Uh, anyway, um, uh, 
I remember getting that at Price Club. Uh, it was it was a very very uh, uh, special moment because I won an argument to get it, and I was like nine or ten. Hmm. So yes, yes, sweet victory and three films. Yeah. Yes, awesome. And I fell deeply in love with it, even though there was very little at the time. And what I could find, I gorged myself with. And I'm just so happy that I I fell in love with Star Wars early enough in the Dark Ages, essentially, or the just the, the early renaissance of Star Wars, I guess, the extended renaissance, uh, that... It, it was it was uncool. I was the only kid in school for a while who was into Star Wars, and and everyone eventually came to it. And and just as you're like, oh, I really wish they'd do this, they would release a new toy line with like everything you ever wanted. And then the video games started coming out, and they started pumping out books, and they started pumping out comic books, and it, it became a very like solid facet of my my years growing up i was never like obsessed obsessed with it but it was a constant background noise it it this star wars and especially the extended universe of the 90s mm-hmm. is as background radiation to me as the first 9 seasons of the simpsons okay yeah yeah it just it was always there i I never went anywhere too far without like a Star Wars comic or book, more likely a book or like just outright Shadows of the Empire, which I think I read eight times. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Shizor, right? Yeah, fucking Shizor. Fucking Shizor. Uh, and, and so it, it became a thing that you follow and you you get super fucking hyped for the prequels and yeah 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 and i i was too young to camp out uh for them uh and it it would have been pointless because my the, the small town i lived in uh the suburb outside of Halifax Nova Scotia had its own theater and there was no need to line up it's it's fine even the most popular film it is fine there was no there was no need to line up when we did it believe me (laughs) but it was it was like my friend was just like we should do this and i'm like we've already got tickets for the screening dude we don't need to and he's like that's even better no that's this is part of it man like you gotta you gotta do this and i'm like god okay and i'm not a camper i'm not i'm not (laughs) i don't enjoy that so like it was a whole lot of us being hot in a tent and i was just like (laughs) it was only like i said it was only really the last day or so beforehand when other people started showing up that it became in any way cool before that it was just a whole lot of uh theater employees just being like all right. Well, excuse me. I got to go to work. Uh, <laughs> Just, oh God, the weirdo. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like at the time, Star Wars was still a thing that like, oh, you're a nerd and not in a cool way because a cool way didn't exist at the time. Right. It it, it was just, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. And so you, you had to endure nerddom to enjoy Star Wars and then you get hit with the prequels and it's like, Oh God, this is starting to get really kind of tiring and exhausting. And eventually as Star Wars targets more and more and more like younger uh, through the, the era of the Clone Wars and whatever, I just tuned way the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, but every now and then I would like re-binge in. It, it was like a fix. Like, okay, I have no idea what has happened to Star Wars in the last eight years. I'm going to binge every single change every every single goddamn thing and like i'd read every book every comic book watch every show uh and it was by the end of it it was a lot to remember yeah uh, and yeah that that's i guess i i suppose that that takes us into the modern age of yeah yeah okay i mean it's disney whatever that means they'll go on forever and ever and ever they'll always be star wars now we have reached the singularity of star wars congratulations let's discuss yeah yeah (laughs) and you know 
there's a lot of there's a lot of criticism to be had in turn like a lot of the stuff where it's just like disney made it woke and it's just like shut the fuck up but there is, there, ah. there is criticism to be had of how much of the movie industry Disney owns now and the fact that art is not allowed to exist as anything other than content to be mined and things like that. Uh, you know, and that's definitely a conversation to be had. Um, you know, if your problem is a black stormtrooper, then no, no, yeah, no. That's that's just a stupid goddamn opinion. Yeah, just and and oh god. Yeah. But back in the way way before before any of that goddamn bullshit back before there were um any black people in Star Wars at all actually Jesus Christ George could you maybe have gotten one extra <laughs> just one you know anyway <laughs> yo well I I understand there's not many black people in Africa where he filmed some of this film. Uh, <laughs> anyway, way back, shade. all of this be shade, shade. It's okay. He directed Red Tails. <laughs> I mean, to to be, you got to give Claire, Chris Claremont credit for introducing a an actual black character into Star Wars. Admittedly, she only lasted three issues and then died, and not even like didn't even leave a corpse behind got absorbed uh but she existed she was there she was there and you can't erase it god damn it no matter what disney wants wants you to think uh, <laughs> but yes way way back our tale begins in 1975 and how else could such a goddamn ridiculous megalithic monolithic cultural beast began then a meeting of the minds between two of america's t later 20th century's most influential people george lucas and stan lee 1975 marvel headquarters george lucas comes in he's got a pitch it's for something called the star wars and it is out there it's, it's sci-fi soap opera it's it's everything that jack kirby is all about it's everything that made marvel great and stan lee the the visionary the one who took a, a small comic book publisher in new york to the absolute most successful media entity in history looked at george lucas the man who created the blockbuster and said no, thank you. Yep. We're going to try our own stuff for a while and proceed to almost bankrupt the company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like going into the Star Wars book, Marvel was not in a good place financially. They had attempted to farm out as much of their content as possible beyond comic books and found themselves strained because they were no longer necessarily paying attention to the quality of their books. They were canceling stuff that was good. And of course, Stanley's attention was not on publishing anymore. He had his eyes fixed firmly on television and movies. Right. And, and that became a problem. But thankfully, thankfully, one of the employees at Marvel uh currently or then a writer uh uh and and i think uh, editor on a few titles but previously uh he was editor uh, editor in chief was he uh he was editor in chief after stan because they went through uh, yes. they went through a run <laughs> where they were changing editors like every 6 months because it was like yeah. it was stan shit got really fucky stan and then a bunch of people and then Jim Shooter, basically. Uh, and I think I think Roy Thomas may... There was somebody who was editor-in-chief twice during that time. And it may have been Roy Thomas. I forget. But, uh, yeah. It, it, it probably... If, if it wasn't Roy Thomas, it was Jim Shooter. I mean, thing, things got chaotic. And so, Roy Thomas 
was having dinner with a friend of his who owned a comic book store in L.A., and that comic book store had a silent partner. That silent partner was George Lucas. This is like 1975, a couple months after uh, Stan Lee shot down the George Lucas pitch. And the comic book shop owner and George Lucas just start geeking the fuck out on this script that George is preparing and trying to get the money for. And... Roy Thomas is mesmerized. This is a brilliant idea. It's incredible. You should take it to Stan. And, and George goes, nope, Stan said to fuck off. And Roy goes, well, that's a shame. I'll, I'll keep that in mind, though. Well, because this, this is amazing. This, it has such potential. And Roy Thomas, at the moment, uh, was the only thing keeping the lights on at Marvel with his Conan the Barbarian book. So at some point, we'll cover this, but... While Star Wars saved Marvel, Conan kept it from dying. And it was a license that they got that has its own really bizarre and insane story behind it. But Roy Thomas had taken Conan the Barbarian, a sword and sandal, you know, epic adventure, and made it more successful than x-men and spider-man not that that was hard at the in x-men's case that was not that hard prior to 1975 but yeah 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 not not the hardest but certainly a thing that's that stands out now is like that is kind of fucked up uh if you get a chance read conan in all of its marvel forms they are truly fantastic i i love the art myself but Eventually, in 1976, Roy Thomas heard again from his friend that George Lucas has finally got this thing in production. There's trailers coming out, and there's there's a little bit of hype, and everyone is curious about this bizarre film because, one, it is so completely different from American Graffiti. What in the hell is going on? Two, it's, it, it's, it's just out there. Like, no one can get a good grasp on it. There's... There's uh, secrets around the production. The production itself was hushed up. It was you know, under Blue Harvest. Shh, don't say about it. Shh, shh, you don't know anything. What the fuck could this be about? And anyone who had heard the pitch says one of two things. One, what the fuck are you on about? This is going to bomb horribly or, oh my God, this is the most brilliant idea ever. And luckily, Roy Thomas... The more he heard, the more he went, this is the most brilliant idea ever. We have to get on this. And he convinced Stan Lee to allow the, first of all, the adaptation of the original Star Wars uh, into, I believe, a an, a six or eight part six. miniseries, six part miniseries. And then the continuation from there, if it did well enough. And it, it came about that it was one of the weirdest business agreements in a, a an already fucked up business agreement history because like everyone knows that George Lucas made a mint on merchandising he had a fat cut of it because he essentially invested everything else into the studio and part of that merchandising rights was comic books so George Lucas and Stanley come up with this sweetheart of a deal for Marvel anyway, and one for George Lucas, of course, that he only gets paid after they've sold 100,000 issues. So they get guaranteed 100,000 issues. That is a profit for them, a solid profit. But from there, he gets favorable terms for as long as these characters are published by Marvel. And everyone got filthy, filthy rich because of the previously mentioned incredibly good terms on merchandising so he everyone just got filthy filthy rich and it saved marvel yeah. this this comic book that no one remembers the continuity of uh no one remembers any of the original characters of save jackson more or less kept what is now the largest media like cultural entity afloat it, it, it it's incredible just the way that they have played back and forth through history they needed each other if star wars had come out 
originally as the promotional tie-in to get hype for the movie that that the comic book was supposed to be what how would we think of star wars like people would have already seen it they would have gotten hyped about we probably would have had the prequels come out as a comic book to begin with and 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 that original version of it it's and it would have been based off the 1975 script. So, and we already have remnants of it. We we've got uh, Star Killer, the Star Killer Kid. Yeah, it would have been incredible. It would have meant an entirely different Star Wars. Yeah. And that Stanley said no. Meant that when Star Wars the movie came into production. Star Wars, the comic did at the same time, and they were co-produced. Like, it's one of those things people don't think about, like, uh, the the same way that uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, the book and the movie were co-produced at the same time. And then Jack Kirby, years later, but with Arthur C. Clarke and notes from Stanley Kubrick, co-produced the comic book version. Like, Marvel's involvement in ip and we will do an episode on that absolutely and the the way that they positively influence it is and yet are forgotten often it's really really fascinating and while this book ran for 10 years from 1977 to 1987 keeping star wars alive well like droids existed and Ewok adventures failed and the movies completed themselves in the early eighties and the Wookiee life day thing is best left forgotten. This was what kept the light on until 1987. And it's, it's completely forgotten by most people like kids these days who live and breathe star Wars don't know a thing about these original comics and quite frankly because of the form of storytelling probably would not get into them or could could well yeah i mean you know the the comics have changed significantly since uh the 70s in terms of the storytelling is much more decompressed now and much more quote-unquote cinematic and so, uh, you know, if they were to do if they were to do an adaptation of A New Hope that covered the same amount of material as was in those first six issues, it probably would be significantly longer just because everything there would be a lot more, you know the shot of Luke looking at the twin sons of Tatooine would be like several panels, you know, and stuff like that. Um, And so, yeah, the, it is very difficult if you are used to modern comics to then go back. I mean, shit, when, when I started reading older comics, uh, you know, starting out even in the 80s, they were not as dense as they had been in the Golden and Silver Age. And so, you know, yeah, if you went back and read those older comics, you're just like, man, they never shut the fuck up. Oh, I, also, like Gardner Fox could fit, I want to say, four to six paragraphs plus a science lesson in the yeah. margins. And that's one panel. Fuck off. We move on to the next 32 right. pages of that. Right. So, so yeah. And, but it's, it really is very interesting and it's especially interesting to compare uh, the original Star Wars adaptation with the adaptations they did of Empire and Jedi wherein they they were clearly working with later versions of the script uh, on the latter two, whereas 
the the version of the script they were using for the first six issues is earlier uh and so it has stuff like biggs returning to um returning to tatooine from the academy and telling luke his plans to jump ship and go join the rebels uh it has um who are the two characters that showed up in book of boba fett cam and um fuck ah, God the two of luke's friends from tatooine that only appear in this one scene uh that was in, then ultimately cut from the film uh and again you know the the initial confrontation with jabba in the hangar that was then added <laughs> to the special editions um those things are present uh and as well as a line you and i were laughing about um wherein uh during the initial conversation between ben and luke at ben's uh hut you know ben ben says a line that was ultimately cut from the movie where he says the suffering of one is the suffering of all uh which it's good i think that it was ultimately cut because they would have had to do some gymnastics to make that make sense with Kenobi and the other Jedi leaving Anakin's mom in slavery. And it's just kind of like uh, <laughs> the suffering of one is the suffering of all, except for your grandma. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but she was a slave. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, but. It is, it is, it's very interesting to, you know, and Jabba, Jabba was in no way, um, solidified yet. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, one word for it. <laughs> solidified. Yeah. He, he certainly hadn't found his gravitas, <laughs> his girth as a character yet. Uh, thin, yellow, noseless yeah. and hairy. That's how you like hey, your Jabba you know, the Huts. <laughs> I I would have killed to see those mutton chops in in uh full blown theater mode. Like fuck yeah. Um Oh yeah, it, it it would have been impressive. And I love that because those first six issues, the the original adaptation of just the movie, because they were began before and in one case uh released before the movie came out a lot of it wasn't completed with a working cut in fact roy thomas got to see the infamous dogfight cut where uh instead of seeing the fa finished shots of x-wings and tie fighters there's just like measure smiths and spitfighters and uh, footage from uh old war movies uh that george lucas stuck in for effect uh, getting to see that is like like one of those like cultural right. touchstones of like oh you lucky bastard, but he was working off of Macquarie's art. He was working off of production stills. He was working off like they would give him everything and anything he needed. They just wouldn't let him on set yeah. essentially, uh, and it's it's incredible how close yeah. it comes. But there's also stylistic decisions that just fly off and in weird directions and it's like you're trying to you're clearly trying to draw something yeah. based on memory and, and and like just extrapolating based on a script and oh i i absolutely am not exaggerating when i say this actually is my favorite version of star wars a new hope in which it's completely divorced from any baggage whatsoever it 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 just simply is but it's you know the, it's the original star wars but it's a variation of it. it's like it's like peering into an alternate dimension just slightly right. different from ours and you get to see that uh, uh you that's the star wars you got to see 
in uh, the America where Jimmy Carter runs for three straight terms and then becomes a robot dictator. Like it starts good, it it ends weird. He he builds a lot of homes, but you don't get to live in those homes. Wow. Okay. You're dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it. It's a dark universe, but you know they get a really nice Star Wars. Damn it. Yeah. But then. <laughs> but I yeah I I I love the way that that they're able to kind of play with it. But as as we as well discussed previously, where there's two ways to look at this. I see this version where it's like you have just the beginning of star Wars and you can do practically anything you want. So long as you don't mention an ice planet, you see it as like super fucking limiting because it's like you essentially have this premise and you can't kill anything. You can't do anything. And it's like, they're both absolutely true. You know, I, I think it is limiting to an extent. Um, I think what they were, and what you're, you're were, absolutely right. It, what it they is, were able cause... to do with those limitations, I'm impressed by. Um, like 107 issues with with all those limitations. Like by the end of it, of course, they included you know Empire and Return of the Jedi, but they had what 40 something issues under their belt before something Empire like comes that. Along? Yeah, and you know, yeah. Like that's just that's sustained storytelling. It's, it's interesting because you know, so they do the first six issues, and then it's just kind of like go play, I guess. Um, yeah, fucking whatever. You can't you can't kill any of them. You can't have them defeat Darth Vader. Darth Vader barely appears in it because it's like he was yeah. he was defeated. I don't know. You, you, and I, I assume that there are rules of like, no, you can't, you can't give Darth Vader right. character development. Right. We're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting though, because they, they get through the first six issues and then they're left to do whatever. And, uh, yeah. they do Whatever de- it very quickly descends into cowboy well, movies. Well, so the and, next and teenage the next movies. thing they do is since you know A New Hope draws a lot from a hidden the Hidden Fortress, they then turned around and immediately did Seven Samurai. See, yeah, and I, and I was approaching it from Magnificent Seven. Well, yeah, the amount of gunplay. But you're absolutely right. Go to the source. Go to the source. Kurosawa. Kurosawa Um, for days. But then, and so you got, you got a few things here and there. Um, I really enjoyed characters um, like uh, Baylert Vance, who is a, a bounty, a former stormtrooper who was uh who was critically injured and his uh whole left side is um has been replaced by the uh by cybernetics and so he's he's a self-hating uh cyborg and uh yeah, yeah, because like what one of the weird little quirks of this, because they hadn't fully drawn everything out with their explanations and such, is uh yeah, the universe hates cyborgs. It it's I I presume that Roy Thomas uh leaned heavily into the Dune influences uh on this. Uh and, and that like yeah, the cybernetic uh, augmentation was like a major no-no and, and to have this character flying around the Star Wars world being like oh I hate myself I'm a cyborg oh, yeah. I hate robots I hate it and it's just like yeah fuck uh, it, wouldn't it be so terrible if like that happened to Luke or something yeah you, if if Luke had a, like a robot arm I would, I'd lose all yeah. respect for him immediately um, but uh <laughs> There was, um, 
there was him there was orland tag uh and then uh both excellent star wars names might i say like they figured out the formula very early those are excellent yeah. star wars um, names. and then shira brie uh who was really interesting because she is a a rebel that Luke starts getting close to. Uh, and then they go on a mission where she is seemingly killed by Luke, um, which causes him to lose all clout with the Rebel Alliance and everything. But then in the course of things, Luke goes to try and clear his name and discovers that she was actually an agent of the Empire uh, and everything. And then at the end of it, you find out that she's still alive and Darth Vader is rebuilding her. And she comes back later. It's a whole thing. Um, but the uh, later on, once once they'd firmly established a lot of this stuff and they could start playing around with it more, um, you wound up with some really interesting stories. Um, around the 80-issue mark, there is a, uh, <laughs> a story about... That last well, fifth really I mean, kicks by ass. By then, they had kind of reached a groove and had a sort of knew what the edges were as it were um and so yeah yeah the original version of the star wars universe had been mapped you you knew the borders you right. knew the restrictions you know the rules so now right. you can finally have fun but there's a there's a story where leia meets a stormtrooper from alderaan uh and so her interactions with him are very interesting and then uh, shortly thereafter, there's a story or before that, I forget. It's around that time uh, they introduce Flint, who is like a worst case scenario of what might have happened. Excuse me. What might have happened uh, had Luke's life turned out differently uh, in that he's he yeah. is the son of a dead Jedi who wants to get off his shithole planet but everything kind of breaks in such a way that he winds up joining uh, Vader and learning to be a Sith and so on and so forth. And eventually he gets redeemed and all of that. But it is a very interesting there, but for the grace of the Force goes Luke. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, and and speaking of what I one of my favorite subplots of the early part of this book, at least, is when Vader finds out the general description of the pilot who blew up the Death Star, uh, blonde haired, blue eyed. Uh, he just sets like sets out a bounty across the galaxy. Kill everyone who, who looks like that just in case. And so every now and then the story will stop so that you can see some bounty hunters totally murder someone who just looks yeah. kind of like Luke Skywalker. And they inevitably come across a a backwater hick who calls yeah. himself the Star Killer Kid. And he, he eventually uh th there's adventures and hijinks and he finds true love and he gets to have like the life Luke would have had if he if he had the adventures yeah. that he imagined as a child, you know, like leave the farm, go have an adventure, right. come back to the farm with a wife, live your life like that's like that character actually exists. And yeah. Luke knows him. Everyone knows him. It, it's just a thing. Um, I love I love the way that it gets to play with with certain aspects like uh, uh, there's an Agatha Christie uh, uh, Orient Express issue in which Obi-Wan. Uh, a very young and uh, uh, black leather wearing which you uh, knew Obi -Wan was the thing around the era of the Clone Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, you just knew. Uh, he he solves a murder mystery, and it's it's neat to see this yeah. Obi Wan that will never be. Uh, this this is a, a a completely separate version of the character. There is uh, we we've mentioned Jackson, 
who is fucking insane. There, there's a, a, a bunch of movies that are essentially replayed and redone, but as Star Wars, there, there's my favorite character of all that I didn't know existed until I read this book. Yep. Don Juan Quixote. Not spelled right. like like the character you think. Uh, an insane man who thinks he's a Jedi. Yeah. I love it. That's great. He, he, he joins the Magnificent Seven. Asserting that, yeah, I'm a Jedi. Yeah. Fucking what about it? <laughs> who are you to say otherwise? I, and that's the kind of 70s level, 80s level insanity I, I adore about this book. And without it, not only would Marvel have not survived, they wouldn't have gone so right. hardcore into IP books. And you wouldn't have gotten G.I. Joe's. You wouldn't have gotten Transformers. This book completely changed pop culture and yeah, it got a hundred and something episodes uh, it got a hundred and something issues and then was unceremoniously canceled well yeah because there was no more coming um but i do i do think it's interesting when you look at um you know they could have just stuck n some nobody on these books and to a certain extent, they did sometimes. But but when you look at <laughs> when you look at the list of people who wrote stories for Marvel Star Wars, either in the US or in the UK, these are no slouches. Uh, like I said, Chris Claremont, Alan Moore wrote some um for for the marvel uk star wars um you know yeah and those those ones go even weirder because like you know as as you expect it, it's alan right. moore playing with some continuity it's just fucking whatever alan moore decides and at this time i'm pretty sure he was on tremendous amounts of acid right and uh walt simonson did a bunch of the art howard chaikin you know so if you it's worth reading these uh just to see the talent who have touched these books so um just read them they're they're awesome uh yeah Check them out. They are available on Marvel Unlimited and at other places yes, um, if you know how to find them. Yeah, Marvel Marvel has started doing, <laughs> they've done, I think, five omnibuses now of the classic Marvel Star Wars books. Um, and the rest are, uh, if not on Marvel Unlimited already, forthcoming. So uh so yeah it's it's a it's an interesting book um i and it's something that this is this is kind of my this is kind of what sticks in my ass about star wars sometimes is it can be anything it can be anything and i think some of the people who worked on star wars during this time recognized that fact it doesn't always have to be just the same thing over and over again. That's not to say there's not room for that, but you can do a heist movie. You can do an Agatha Christie uh, pastiche. You can do whatever the fuck you want, and it's still Star Wars. Um, exactly. And, and that's, that's how I think I find this refreshing, because it didn't right. have the presumed restraints of decades of the same kind right. of stories being told the same kind of stories that we're going to get into on a future episode when we cover dark horses extended universe that picked up where this one left off jettisoned a shit ton and ended up creating the constant churn of <laughs> palpatine's back death star weapon palpatine's back death star weapon Palpatine's back. Somehow, Death Star weapon. Palpatine's returned. Uh, uh, but looking forward to our next episode because we are doing something far, far more fun. We are going to be covering 
the kernel of two worlds, the flash KFC finger licking yeah. so, comics. Uh, <laughs> I bear with us cause it sounds really dumb, but it's actually good. It's ridiculously fucking epic. Yeah. It's, it's over the top. Amazing. Oh, best comic I've read in years. <laughs> so join us for that. And of course, check back with us because we will be covering the rest. Uh, yeah. Um, like, like, and subscribe. Uh, do, do all the podcast shit. Rate and review. Uh, if you would like to recommend something that we might do down the line. We already have a list, but you know, if you'd like to suggest something, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or at multiverse. O madness, uh, or sorry, multiverse. O marketing at <laughs> gmail.com. Uh, I do wish we could have had that name. I, I got uh, if if only a couple of decades earlier, <laughs> you know. a couple of decades early. That's all. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time on the Multiverse of Marketing.